You're tuned to Tidings, and I'm Hazel Kahn. My guest today is Noam Cohen, who is a journalist and author of the book The Know-It-Alls, The Rise of Silicon Valley as a Political Powerhouse and Social Wrecking Ball. But most important for us today, Noam is also a Wikipedia editor. So welcome to Tidings and to WPKN, Noam. I'm glad to be here. I was intrigued by your article in the Washington Post titled, VIPs Expect Special Treatment at Wikipedia, Don't Even Ask, in which you show how wealth and fame can influence Wikipedia truths. It made me realize that I think of Wikipedia as a place free of fake news, but also authoritative, and for me, it's always a starting point for my writing or for my radio programs. So as I read your article, I realized how little thought I actually gave to Wikipedia, that we take it for granted, but should we? And mm. So I just wondered where all of that comes from. Now, I do know that Wikipedia was founded by Jimmy Wales in 2001, mm. I believe, with the stirring words, Imagine a world in which every single person on the planet is given free access to the sum of all human knowledge. Sort of fairly lofty mm. goal. <laughs> and he said, that's what we're doing. But your article actually told quite another story. And so I wanted to find out from you whether, in fact, I've been naive all these years thinking that Wikipedia tells the truth. How do I know? Mm. And how can I tell? So let's start with your October 28th Washington Post article about John Eastman trying mm. to rewrite his own Wikipedia page. So revisionism mm. exposed. So tell our listeners about all of that. Uh, glad to be here. Thanks. I, I am a Wikipedia editor, but I tend to think of myself more as a Wikipedia writer, someone who writes about Wikipedia. So I've been writing about them since 2006. And they were founded, like you said, in 2001. They kind of celebrated their 20th anniversary this year at the beginning in January. I, I've always wanted to look harder at it. And the question you're asking, it raises so many contradictions and it's very hard to explain this thing. There's a common quote that Wikipedians talk about, which is that it only works in practice. It doesn't work in theory. Because the idea that this encyclopedia anyone can edit would somehow become reliable, more reliable than Facebook, than YouTube. And, you know, arguably more reliable than, you know, obviously Fox News and a lot of other unreliable sources is really a mystery. And that the, the point of my writings about Wikipedia is to explain how did this happen? Because Wikipedia becomes very, very important these days because Google will default, will use Wikipedia as its baseline of what we know. Mm. Likewise, a lot of assistants like Siri and Alexa learn from Wikipedia to answer your question. So it is this hugely important thing. It is the baseline knowledge about the world that people get and through these large corporations that rely on it. And yet, how do we know it's accurate? Mm -hmm. And a lot of what I've written about is that it is surprisingly accurate. The point of that story in the Washington Post was to say that there were these Facebook files, it was called, that were ran in the Wall Street Journal, where they got internal memos that showed that if you were a very important person, if you were a famous celebrity, you're not going to have an, an a computer or an algorithm isn't going to say you broke the rules, your account has been disabled. Instead, it's going to go to a person who's going to hear your case and go and be much more understanding. Now, arguably, everyone should get that treatment, but only, only very important people got that protection. And the story of Wikipedia is that, particularly for articles that are very well known and visited and have a lot of what they call watchers, people who look at any or informed if there's any change to an article, those articles tend to be very accurate because they're people who really care. And a story about John Eastman 
who is this Trump's lawyer, right, who was giving him a lot of advice about how to nullify the election, the day after the insurrection was actually on Wikipedia editing his own article about John Eastman, who was a professor, and he was trying to change how it reported on his arguments about the 2020 election. Was he yeah. doing that himself? He was. It himself? Yeah. That's not really allowed much. It's complicated. I mean, you're, what are you supposed to do if you see an error about your own article? But he, over the years, had a Wikipedia account, so he was a Wikipedia editor, and he edited his own article various times from the last 10 years. So he was used to it. But this time... People were obviously very much on the lookout, and the second he mm -hmm. did it, they immediately said, whoa, 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 this isn't cool, and they had a discussion. There's like a page on Wikipedia that you don't see unless you look for it, where you can discuss what changes you want to make, and basically, to me, a very funny anecdote from this is that when he made his case, he said, you're using the New York Times to say what happened in this meeting with Vice President Pence, but I'm, I'm linking to a YouTube speech I gave. Mm. I was in the meeting. Why are you trusting yeah. the New York Times instead of me? And then, of course, they said, it's not your soapbox, you know. These watchers, do they have editorial powers or do they just watch and tell other people with editorial powers? No, they always tend to be editors. There's yeah. a way you can kind of set it up so any change is made to any article, to articles that you care about. If you, if you watch too many articles, you get informed about every change. And there's this way you can look at Wikipedia and see what they call like the fire hose. Like, you know, if you were to look at every edit going on on Wikipedia in real time as it's happening, it would be overwhelming. It is overwhelming. It's called a watch list, and the basic gist is that people who, who edit an article or care about an article, and hopefully the people on all sides, will see any change. So the goal is to not have something change without people knowing it, what you call vandalism. You also say there is no leadership in the sense that these mm. power players, let's just say John Eastman, mm. there's nobody to appeal to. So these VIPs who are used to always going to the chairman of the board mm -hmm. or the CEO, there is no such thing for, for an appeal. Is that right? I mean, there's a system for appealing, and there are ways you can put up a message to the community. But yeah, and Jimmy Wales himself tried to edit his own article out various things, and he's yeah. been called to account. So it's like there's a foundation that helps run all the different Wikipedias. There are various authorities, but there isn't that same central line the way Facebook really made it clear that you can appeal to a powerful person and get special help. It is more decentralized than that. And that's either a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, I've written a lot about also COVID and healthcare, right? There's a very strong medical group and they really watch medical articles super mm. carefully. And they are very, very by the book. And people get offended because they're also very hard about homeopathy, you know, and there's like a very scientific bent. You look at the article about certain homeopathic treatments, it'll just, this is scientifically impossible, the end. So Wikipedia has a rationalist scientific bent, mm -hmm. and they keep a tight control on things as they can, but they can't go to one person. So your article is a cautionary tale for anybody trying to rewrite history. I think so. And you say to them, you know, you have to work within the system, not try to bludgeon the system itself. Yeah, I think there is a commitment also to accuracy, wanting to have sources. And like that is different than Fox News or other propaganda outlets that they don't fundamentally believe in journalism. There's another piece I wrote about the way Nazis are uh, depicted, particularly the German army during Nazi era. This woman, Xenia, who worked really hard to get the articles to be more critical of the Nazi generals. And she did it through just sources and hard work and giving evidence and saying, you can't say this about this because it's not backed up by the facts or the source you're using isn't reliable. So fundamentally, it's like a bunch of people who are really committed to knowledge and thinking through how do we know things. That's why Wikipedia has a chance. I think a lot of other news outlets don't even try that, you know. It's in the November issue of Wired, print and also online. It was a look at the kind of thing you're asking about. How does Wikipedia know what it knows? So how do we know of what's the right thing to say about 
the German Wehrmacht, the Nazi Germany army? And how, how do we know what's the right thing to say about the people who fought? And how do we know history? And that's what I was trying to write about in this article. And it's through argument and sourcing and discussion and her perseverance that she was able to really shift the narrative there. But Her motivation was that she was reading Wikipedia mm-hmm. articles about the Nazis, which struck her as, as blatantly false and laudatory. <laughs> yeah, laudatory, exactly. Mm-hmm. And it kind of fits the similar narrative. But in America, we have the whole myth of the lost cause. This idea that, oh, you know, the Confederate generals were noble people. Robert E. Lee was a noble fighter who just was called home. It's this mythology that tries to minimize what was Robert E. Lee fighting for. Was he actually such a good general? Maybe not. Was he really noble if he, his causes were so ignoble? So a similar kind of thing going on in Wikipedia. Less clear about lost cause and how Confederates are covered. That's something maybe your audience could look at it. They can go look and see articles about Stonewall Jackson, Robert E. Lee, and think for themselves, is this, is this what I think is right, the right way to describe it, and, and, and join the conversation. But she did the conversation about Nazi German generals like Rommel and other less well-known generals, and whether the articles were just too willing to give them the benefit of the doubt that, oh, they didn't realize they were fighting for genocide. That kind of mythologizing and excuse-making, and that's what led her to do it. She really went to war, so to speak, with all the books she read. And she through history and she was able to appeal to the whole Wikipedia community and make this case. The belief that this is real information, it's not biased, it's not fake. We are depending and completely reliant and trusting in the editor. Mm-hmm. If you were a real cynic and unwilling mm-hmm. to believe any of this, you would say, yeah, but these are just humans. They have their own motivations. Who's going to yeah. monitor? Who guards the guards, who guards right? The guards, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if there's an answer to that. I guess at some level, it's a matter of faith. It is about believing in sources. So everything should be sourced. And I think we spoke you know, even before this conversation about what's the best way to use Wikipedia. I think it's interesting that, that Google and you know, Amazon through Alexa are using it as a definitive source often and answering your question. You know, for me, I use Wikipedia as a sort of say, well, what is it based on? But it's a great, a great compendium to have all that there and you can check everything it says if it's can confirm it. And by and large, Wikipedia is, is very, very accurate accuracy and being partly a tribute to its community. Like I full of, I would say almost cranky and very kind of hyper rational people, right? That was one of the points of the article that was in the Washington Post about uh, VIPs, just very cranky people. They're not easily impressed. Mm -hmm. Their culture is to not believe anything. So they are actually ultimate cynics. Often there are very famous people who will say, hey, don't tell me something about me. I lived it. And they'll say, well, if it's true, find me a source. You said I was born here. I'm not born there. And they're like, well, if that's true, show me a source. I don't want to take your word for it because they have such a high level of of skepticism themselves, and you know, they just are not easily swayed. So you have to have a little faith. And communities do matter. I guess that's the thing that I, I was trying to get at in that article. Like Facebook created one kind of value system and community where being powerful is important, and they bend over backwards for you know Republican and right wing to cater to right wing audiences. They're afraid they'll get regulated. They have a culture. It's a bad culture, and that's they also want money, and so they want to have the most people viewing things. So they've decided made all these kind of basic decisions about what appears on their site. And it's motivated by bad motivations, I would say. And that leads to a very bad product. Like YouTube just will send them to even worse crap than they would want to watch themselves. It's kind mm-hmm. of unbelievable. So that's their culture. So Wikipedia has a different culture. here. So I don't think it's quite a leap of faith, like you're saying, as we're talking through this. It's about values matter. And their values lead to more accuracy. I tried to explore in the article. There are other issues where maybe their values could be more understanding. But the value they have about rigor and accuracy and mm-hmm. being skeptical of everyone is useful. 
What are the origins, actually, to go back to Jimmy Wales? You use the word libertarian origins somewhere. We're thinking sort of hippie origins, but you're also talking about early internet history, suspicion of authority, and that information wants to be free. My book was a lot about this idea that the libertarian origins of Silicon Valley, and it's a very libertarian, highly individualistic place, and very much not. And I think Wikipedia, in some ways, subverted that narrative. You know, it was a real eye-opener to me that, you know, Jimmy Wales, his co-founder, this guy Larry Sanger, who's now a very far-right-wing guy, he's not part of the project anymore, but very critical of Wikipedia for what he thinks is being is being too politically correct. They met on an Ayn Rand chat group. Ayn Rand is like, mm-hmm. to me, like, you know, the ultimate in this kind of hyper-individualistic selfishness is good uh, mentality. So that was a real shocker because I came with Wikipedia as like, wow, it's this collaborative, almost more like a kibbutz or a co-op model where everyone's pitching in together to make something great and for the greater good. But it has also these origins in skepticism of authority, right? Again, when we've talked about like Wikipedia has a real rigor about accuracy, definitely won't go very far going, excuse me, I am a professor of German mm-hmm. studies. How dare you not agree with my edit? The thing I get across in my book is that the hippie-ish and the libertarianism often intersected. The height of it to me was this essay John Perry Barlow, who like was a yeah. for the Grateful Dead, and it was a piece called the, the Declaration of Cyber Independence or something like yeah, that. And it was yeah. it was an argument that the internet was going to be this place where there'd be no race, no mm-hmm. gender, all this vision of a libertarian like no context, no sense that we live in a world where we there are debts that are owed, ultimate individualist expression. So in some ways, they kind of overlap. They have That's really interesting. And I think Wikipedia somehow turned into more of a community, but there's always been that tension. And the critics of Wikipedia point out it's incredibly male. And white, mm. first world dominated, and they edit the articles are skewed toward men, and there's a real effort trying to get more articles about women in there. Often, articles about women got a lot of the relics of what I would call that bad libertarian individualistic ethos. But I do think it's working against it, and I just feel like I'm I'm more of a um, make Wikipedia better than some people are. Just like Wikipedia is hopeless because it has a skewed editor base, and and kind of the articles are skewed. So it's complicated. Yeah, yeah, it is. The main thing that I think our listeners, I think, will take out mm. of this, this interview is that they didn't know any of these things. I mean, you never really, yeah. it was such a tumultuous place, Wikipedia. It's, yeah. it's, it seems like a very sedate place. And yet there's always yeah, tumult funny. going on underneath. You know, I wrote a lot of these articles when I worked at the New York Times. I was an editor there. And I also would write articles. At various times, it might have been the fifth largest, most visited site in the world, maybe now it's in the top 10, I think, still. But now it's almost like traffic's not a way of measuring it because, like I'm saying, people through Siri or through Google will get Wikipedia information and won't necessarily visit Wikipedia. Author Noam Cohen is talking about Wikipedia. This is Tidings on WPKN Radio. Here's an important site. Because Wikipedia wasn't a company and it wasn't announcing record profits every quarter, the New York Times barely covered it. I was like, it doesn't make any sense. It fell through the cracks. It didn't fit the normal definition of what an important organization is. So that was always my thinking, that it was much more important people are giving it credit for. They can sort of think of it. They didn't really see it that way, even at the New York mm-hmm. Times. There are millions of English articles. English is by far the largest, but there are hundreds of languages. Other languages often aren't visited as much. Part of the problem is that, from Wikipedia's point of view, is that, is that people who are educated in other countries will use English Wikipedia because it's more accurate. So if you let, speak a less popular language and a less well-known Wikipedia, you're going to just use English and edit there rather than edit your own. So that's the problem, that your own language one may become less accurate. If you think of Wikipedia in these two different ways, there's English Wikipedia, and then there are 
literally like 300 other languages. Google uses these the articles in different languages as a way of testing translation. It's just an amazing resource. Another thing that's interesting in Wikipedia is something called simple English, where the rule is, I think, is a thousand words is what simple English. So it takes very complicated ideas like democracy and, you know, it tries to explain them in just simple English. It's also Esperanto and Yiddish. Mm -hmm. It's a very kind of a fascinating place that way. Hard to even know how to measure. Like I say, metrics aren't even necessarily a good way of thinking of it because it's like so baseline of the internet. You asked on how many editors, I think you introduced me as an editor. In my life, I've created like 19 articles. They're all kind of weird, obscure things. None of them are read more than 10 times a day. You can check that on Wikipedia. How much is an article read? How often is it read every day? On every article, if you look, there'll be sort of page statistics on the side. And you click there, there's a history of every page. Who created the article at first? Every change is also traceable. Every change you can see there. See who changed what. And there's a, a link that says page statistics. And there it'll show you how often it's been read. And there are also people who print like the most read articles, which often end up being things like that were in the news, right? Or like Squid Game mm-hmm. uh, series. You know, lots of different metrics. But in general, I think it's more just it's become like the the baseline. That's the story of Wikipedia. It's become like what every big tech company uses. I think you said it something that Wikipedia never forgets. The history is all to see forever. This uh, the senior Kaufman article in, in of yours in Wired. Mm-hmm. You said that. She now has about 5,000 edits a month, up from 1,400. Yeah. She's done 97,000 edits. Can you imagine? Uh, 200 pages she's created, and countless debates argued and won. She's number 734 out of 121,000. That's why I wanted our listeners to to hear some of the scope of this whole thing. She was a force of nature. Yeah. I mean, she, but still, she's only number 734. I went to these conferences. They're called Wikimania. Like every year, they would meet up in a different country. Is totally fascinating for me. As journalists to kind of go. Is one time would be in Taiwan, Argentina. Once in Alexandria. I remember going to one of them and seeing a guy who was the first. Million edit guy. I had a T-shirt thing. I've edited a million. There are definitely these are very obsessive people often, and uh, I'm definitely not one of those people that ever get to tens of thousands of edits. I think I have like 500 or something, you know, over like 10 years. So the thing that's also really interesting, you can just create one sentence. People also often will make a little link where it's a red link, so it's like it doesn't actually link you to, it, but it says this thing ought to be an article. So you can just start with what they call a stub, just getting it out there. And then what's amazing is that people pick up the ball. That's always what I feel like I can do. Uh, I, I'll create an article and, and, and I've seen them grow. I was maybe I'll add like 200 words and it becomes 2,000 words, like a certain professor or a sociologist I wrote about or just random stuff. It is a community and it always gets added to and hopefully improved, but at least expanded, you would say. Uh, so that's kind of how it, how it works. In your Wired article, I think you say that's the thing about edit wars, they never end. <laughs> True, too. You want them to end eventually. Some of the biggest arguments have been about where falafel comes from or what to call some town in, on the border with, in Serbia and Croatia or something. Things that are very, you know, arguably not epic, but have this huge meaning for different groups and they get so involved and so deeply argue about it that it can just go on and on. Like I say, there's a lot of effort to diversify Wikipedia. The foundation does spend a lot of energy doing that. Like, they raise money, and that's a lot of what they use their money for. And a lot of these things called edit-thons, which, again, if your audience should know, that like they had a library or a school where they really try to have a campaign, like, let's do articles about women scientists. Let's just make a list. We're all going to work together. Maybe a more experienced editor will help you 
make sure you don't make mistakes in how you input the information. And so there are these projects all the time, but it's because they recognize that the actual baseline of Wikipedia is slanted toward men, white men, rich white men, rich white men from Europe and America. That's the way it's, it's slanted by the, right. who the editors are. Initially, I thought that the editors, many of them must have a research or a journalism background. I think a lot of the big women editors are librarians, I would say. But there's a lot of kind of hobbyists, I guess, tend to be men. You know, it's almost like a form of mansplaining. Let me tell you about, you know, John Locke. I think women tend to be less eager to say, I know everything about this and let me just spew it out. So, Would you say that Wikipedia growth has increased because of the whole emphasis on fake news? Its role has never been bigger. I think it's kind of indiscriminate. Search something on, on Google, you now they're actually a little box with a little credit to Wikipedia, which will just take the first paragraph of Wikipedia and summarize it. So it's mm. never had more influence, I would say. Mm. It's just, and that's just, again, because of the prices, right, from these big companies. And Wikimedia for the foundation, Wikipedia is the product, because there are all these other projects. There are other wikis that are part of the foundation, mm -hmm. wiki commons, where a lot of images are shared. So, so now when I go to Wikipedia as my starting point on a project, I should actually have much more respect for it and more faith in it. And, and I should think of that Wikipedia article or the ones that it, that are, that it leads me to uh, as my brief. It's a department providing me with a brief as I begin on my project rather than just thinking of it as a quick starting point. They do give articles grades so you can kind of get a sense of how many people have really reviewed it. If they'll have a star, we call it a featured article or given a grade on it. So that's a way to tell you what Wikipedia itself thinks of the article. So that's another useful tool. You asked me about fake news and whether that maybe Wikipedia has had a bigger role because people are looking for something yeah, yeah, objective. Yeah. I think there's some truth to that. Maybe that is why Google and YouTube and Alexa and Siri are so willing to use Wikipedia. There is a sense that we're dying for something that can kind of just not be considered partisan. Wikipedia made this a really uh, important step by saying that Fox News was not a reliable source. They basically issued a rule telling other editors, and particularly administrators, could enforce this, that if someone writes an article about politics and says, oh, yeah, you know, Kamala Harris is really unpopular. I read it in a Fox article right here, that that's not acceptable. And to me, that was a very brave act, because, again, we know that, like, the Facebooks of the world doesn't, don't do that at all. I don't even know that even other newspapers were, are prepared to say that Fox News is, is propaganda out there. But Wikipedia was. And they're willing to be almost more outside of the world and not part of the give and take. And so mm. see it, call it as they see it. Mm. Say, say it straightforwardly. So I do think there is some sense they are an um, antidote to the fake news, a whole other value system like we talked about earlier. When you say they, should I be thinking of this body, large community of editors and the sort of super editors are, uh, over them. Is that who they is? And if so, mm -hmm. um, does anybody get paid at Wikipedia? Who gets paid? Somebody must. You're making a good point that there really isn't a they there, and that's the mystery of it, right? There's not really a they. Um, but there is a kind of community, I guess is what I'm saying. They come up with these answers. Foundation raises money, and they have a, a large staff there, and they get paid to sort of make sure to help diversify the movement, to reach out to other countries. And I think they have staff of tens of millions of dollars each year. They're a nonprofit, but there are people who further the Wikipedia movement. Mm -hmm. Wikipedia in its early days could, it was still a top 10 site and it only had a budget of a million dollars. just had to run the servers and that was what it was. But now they're trying to have a mission about free knowledge and trying to diversify that knowledge. So it's kind of mm -hmm. focus on their own flaws. 
So there's that. Um, there was one debate about whether it made sense to pay people to edit articles, particularly if you feel like articles are under, areas are undercovered. And I think they've kind of worked against that because there's a lot of worry about people editing for pay and not being objective. So they have fellowships, something called Wikipedia and residence. So I think in essence, get payment, certainly get an office, get encouragement. The British Museum had a Wikipedia in residence. And that idea was have a one Wikipedia editor who knew how Wikipedia worked and make sure that like much of the British Museum photos and information could get onto Wikipedia and help mm-hmm. do that. But in general, big editors don't get paid at all. And, you know, because a lot of big editors get access to collections, right, of libraries that often cost money because they want to help, again, that information get out. Yeah. So it's a perk, yeah. Unfortunately, going to have to end in a minute, but is it fair, valuable to think of Wikipedia as a great use of technology specifically for the commons and that it's not owned by anybody but belongs to everybody or at least anybody? So mm-hmm. in my mind, it's of a kind with archive.org and you and I briefly mm-hmm. talked about Bruce Takeo and how I would mm-hmm. like to, to interview him. Do you think of that as this is technology for the commons? It's like a commons uh, view, it's something called Creative Commons, there's a wiki commons. There's Brewster Kale has this incredible site where he built for the Wayback Machine, which is an amazing idea. They basically he's mm-hmm. for like many years, decades I think even, he's been crawling what they call the internet, so making copies of everything of pages when they've been public. And often people use it because when people take a site down, like the Trump years when they would correct something, make people change things to be to follow the political line of the Trump administration, and people could show those changes. Yeah. They could go back and look at what Brewster yeah. Kale's site, yeah. the Wayback Machine, had copied. So this information is very transparent, very open to anyone, like you're saying, and it also relates even to the free software movement. The thing fundamentally about Wikipedia right, is all that content is available for anyone. It's even available for, there are private companies, right, as we talked about. Anyone can do it. Media is that like, this idea of called forking, where anyone could theoretically take all of Wikipedia's content and just make their own Wikipedia. And, and early on, there was a question about whether Wikipedia would have ads, right? There was a question, obviously a thing we didn't talk about yet about Wikipedia that makes it special. It doesn't track people. It isn't trying to sell you anything ever. Mm-hmm. Now imagine the idea that it was once like the fifth largest and most visited website in the world, and there are no ads on it. Jimmy Wells was early on was open to these ideas and saying, you know, what if like for $60 million, $100 million, you just said, Hey, Google's got lots of information too. Go to them if you want as well. You know, just the most innocuous ad possible. Like, hey, you know, Coke goes well when you're reading articles. You know, it's like so much money in an instant. And like Wikipedia never took it. And Spanish Wikipedia particularly was against the Spanish language group. And they said, if you do that, we're going to immediately fork, create our own Wikipedia, and it will be no ads. And we're going to we're going to be the one that people are going to want to visit. And they mm-hmm. just stopped in it. There is this whole open culture commons idea that it's for the collective good. Anyone can use it. Anyone can improve it. It can be reused and remixed. That's another important idea of commons that no one can tell you what you can do with Wikipedia content. As long as you give the right credit to it, you know, and that what you make can also be shared. It's the same mentality. So it is part of a whole movement. And it is very much against this closed worlds of Facebook, Google, and YouTube, where you enter their world and you don't really have control over anything. You're at their mercy. You don't know what the algorithm is doing to you. You don't really have a lot of control over your, even your settings. Wikipedia is the opposite. It's mm-hmm. all there. Like, nothing's forgotten. You know how to navigate anything. It's a very different, open version. I think that is, again, a much better way of running the Internet. So, 
So, Noam, I'm so happy that you, you spent this time with us. I just want people to know everything you've talked about because it's so little known. Peed is kind of a utility almost, isn't it, for people? It's, now it's become this very multidimensional thing, so I'm very grateful to you, and thank you very much. Tell our listeners how they can find out more about your work. Sure. I write regularly for Wired Magazine online. They're wired.com. I'm Noam Cohen uh, on Twitter, so I often tweet out my articles there and other little thoughts. My book is called The Know-It-Alls. It came out in 2017. I still think it's very appropriate because it was kind of warning about the kind of world that was going to happen with these. It focuses on the various Silicon Valley leaders and where their yeah. ideas were leading us to. It's even worse than I thought, which is really sad because I thought I was being pessimistic at the start, but things have really spilled out further. I couldn't have anticipated the you know election stuff and sort of on this beat. And I always really like to write about Wikipedia and tell stories, all the tumult behind the scenes ubiquitous source of knowledge. Yeah, yeah, and it's free. Thank you very much, Noam Cohen, author and Wikipedia editor, for spending this time with us. Honestly, I'll never think about Wikipedia in the same casual way again. So thank you, Noam, very much. You're welcome. My pleasure. It was a really interesting talk. Thank you. You've been listening to author and Wikipedia editor Noam Cohen talking about Wikipedia and how it guards against revisionism and misleading information. You can hear Tidings on the second Wednesday of the month at this time and as podcasts anytime at all on hazelcon.com. Thank you for listening to Tidings and WPKN. Mm-hmm.